I want to invite you to turn with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Exodus, to chapters 28 and 29. Exodus 28 and 29. You know, when you take your car, if you've got a car, uh, when you take your car into the shop, to have work done on your car. You, you go there with a clear purpose. Uh, you, you've, you, you go there to deal with the business of, uh, of getting your vehicle taken care of, looked at, fixed. I mean, that's, that's why you're there. You don't go primarily to sit in the waiting room and, and to, to talk with folks that are there to socialize, although you might do some of that. You don't go there primarily to... Uh, get people's thoughts about about your car and about their car and uh, to talk shop in that way. But you go there because you believe generally that there's a mechanic there who is equipped and qualified to to deal with the, the issues that you've got with your car. And so you believe this is the place to go to get that done uh, when it comes to uh, this vehicle. Well, I, I was thinking as we gather here this morning, it's my hope that we're all here with just as clear a purpose. You know, we should be here because we are engaged in the business of knowing the Lord, walking with Him. Uh, we're here to take care of, of spiritual business primarily. Uh, and yes, there are other things that that we're about while we're here. But as we gather and as we worship, that should be our mind, that should be our heart, that we're ultimately here to meet with the one who is qualified, the one who is equipped to provide exactly what you and I need spiritually. And so if, if that's the case for you, and if you're clear-minded about that, and that's your, your heart, then I think you will find this passage that we're looking at this morning to be of help to you. Now we're continuing, as we have over the past few weeks, to look at this, the tent, the tabernacle that the Lord has provided to the people of Israel to accompany them on their journey. So that, and this was really the point, this is the point as we go through the book of Exodus, it's all headed somewhere, so that they would be able to meet with Him, together with Him, and Him with them. Because He knew that this is what they, God's people, needed. And so, as He went on their journey through all the challenges that they would face, He, he gave them this, this again, the tabernacle, the tent, to take with them uh, so that they could experience near in a right place to serve Him, and they'd be in a right place to know the blessings that are received from, from being near to their God. Therefore, the tabernacle. They needed, really, to, to worship. And that's what we need uh, as well. Even though things are different for us today, and we don't, we don't need a, a, a structure like that in order to facilitate our worship and our nearness to the Lord, yet at the same time, I think we can be helped 
by understanding the spiritual realities that were represented by this tent, by this tabernacle. Uh, So we've spent a couple of weeks looking at this, and this morning we're going to look at one very important aspect of the tabernacle, and it's not the physical structure itself. It's not the furniture. Uh, We we looked at that uh, last week, but we're going to be looking at the priesthood. Uh, we, We talked about that a little bit earlier. Chapters 28 and 29 lay out Uh, the Lord's plans, the Lord's instructions uh, to Moses and therefore to the people related to this uh, priesthood. And and I'll just remind you, as as I read these words, we've we've talked about it the past couple of weeks, but this is really intended to help us create a picture in our minds and in our hearts. That's why it's different. The language is a little different. This is tough. We've said when you come to this part, in Exodus, uh, and you're reading through the Bible, sometimes it gets, gets difficult because it's repetitive, it's detailed, uh, and yet this is there to create a picture uh, in our minds. They, they were to, to build things based on this, and therefore uh, the priesthood, it's, it's described with great detail. Um, again, I'm not going to read all the, the text, um, so chapters 28 and 29, I'm going to read uh, I, I want to start us off with some detail, some level of detail. And so chapter 28, I'll read the first 21 verses. Then I'll let you know, and we'll skip down. And in uh, chapter 29, it talks about the priests being consecrated. I'm going to skip around a little bit there as to, I just want us to get the, uh, the, the, the right flavor uh, for this. So again, Exodus uh, chapter 28, I'll begin in verse 1. This is God's Word. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. He says, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a a breastpiece, an ephod, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Now he's going to go through each of the items of the first one. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders 
for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. And then the next item, you shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set it Set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardis, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So that's the breast piece. Now skip down with me, if you would, to verse 40, 40. For Aaron's sons you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Let's go to the first few verses of chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with a skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus shall you ordain Aaron and his sons. And he's going to go through the the, the sacrifices that need to be made for them to atone for their sin. Then skip down to verse 35. Thus you shall do for Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days uh, shall you ordain them, and every day... You shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also, you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar shall become holy. Uh, Now skip down to verse 43. There I will meet... He's talking about the tabernacle. There I will meet 
with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified for my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to do this with your people. This was not just for them. This applies to us as well today that you have chosen to dwell amongst us. Therefore, providing us with the ability to know you, to be with you, to commune with you, to fellowship with you. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we look at this text to take this. We know there are some difficult spots to to work through, but to grapple with it and to understand how this applies to us. Uh, Open our eyes to see, open our hearts that we might take in and truly receive uh, that which you have for us through the one mediator, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this, this past Friday... Uh, I went down, Amy and I went down to uh, Northside Hospital just outside of Atlanta. I think many knew that I, I had an, a, a procedure related to my prostate. and Everything went well with this uh, surgery or this procedure. Uh, but let me tell you, the, the facility that we went to, it was a, a newer Northside Hospital uh, facility. And it had the latest of, of everything. Um, and for many here... Uh, I know that have been through different types of, of surgery. You, you know what happens when uh, you're given this gown, you put it on, there's, you, you don't have much other than that. And uh, invariably, these places are cold. Uh, the, the surgical suites they take you, take you into, there's just not much warmth there. Well, this is the first time I had ever seen anything like this, but they had a space-age blanket that they put over me, uh, and it had a continuously fed uh, a, a volume of warm air that circulated in this blanket that, that kept me warm. <laughs> and it was very nice as they finally they wheeled me out of this area, and there were nurses and uh, anesthesiologists and administrators all over the place, you know, plenty of people that were taking care of all the different matters, and then finally they wheeled me out, took me into the, 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 sur- the operation room. And so for just a few moments, I got to look around and all these fancy lights and equipment and everything else that was there. I could tell it was, you know, a state of the art, uh, brand new. Uh, then I was out like a light. Um, and then they did their, did their thing uh, after that. But, you know, I, I was thinking that even with all of this equipment, all the people that were running around and, and, and all of the latest technology that, that was there, none of it was of any value to me whatsoever without one individual. And that was the surgeon, the, the doctor that was there to do the, the work, the operation. He, he was the one that made 
all the difference. You know, I, I could have been taken to the most rudimentary of uh, operating rooms and, and facility. And if the surgeon was there, he could have done his, he or she, he could have done their, their work and, and operated on me. But apart from that, if the surgeon, if the doctor wasn't there, then it wouldn't happen. Then the ailment that was there wouldn't be removed, uh, that there would be no help that would be given. All that to say, there's a key element in all of this. The doctor had to be present, had to be able to do the work that was required. Uh, you know, I think that points to the importance of this passage that we're looking at this morning in chapters 28 and 29 because uh, the tabernacle that we've been looking, up to the, uh, looking at up to this point, uh, it's, you know, I described it last week, it's not real large, it's, it's fairly small, but it must have been very spectacular to see with all the objects of, of pure gold, intricate design, uh, the, the beautifully woven multicolored cloth that was used for the curtains and, and many of the objects. And it was designed to progressively draw one nearer and nearer to the presence of, of the Lord. And that's exactly what the people needed. But all of that being said, it was of absolutely no use to the people because it was inaccessible to them. God Himself was inaccessible to them. You, you remember why. I hope we all remember why because it's true for all of us. Because of sin. Sin separates us from a holy God. You know, if there's one, one item that, that I'd like for us to see and know and have in our minds and our hearts at all times, it's that, because that's what we so often kind of cover over and we fail to see, I think, that sin separates us from a holy God. That was the problem that the people of Israel had. They couldn't be near to God. They couldn't know God unless they had someone there. Someone that was there who could bridge the gap and who could bring them near. It's kind of similar to the, the problem with a, a patient without a doctor. A patient that can't be helped unless there's someone there that is able to bridge the gap, that is present uh, to provide the help that's needed. And you think about that, isn't that the whole point for us? I mean, we can come and gather here. We can come and gather uh, in, in church and, and talk to one another and have all sorts of activities together and, and even care for one another. Now, those who have different needs, we can take care of those needs, whatever they might be. Uh, we can do all of these things. But if there is no way for us to draw close to the Lord, if we remain apart from Him, isn't it all for nothing? The answer to that question is yes. Because like Israel, we need help. We need a mediator. We need one who can step in and who can bridge the gap for us, who can represent us to God. And that's what these two chapters are really all about. Now for Israel, God provided that person through the priesthood, especially through the high priest. 
in all that the high priest did, and he, he had many duties that are outlined, but, but in all that he did, he wasn't acting for himself, but he was always representing the people before the Lord. That, that was his central uh, purpose. And we see that here expressed through uh, two items. Two of the items that we looked at as we read part of this uh, passage earlier, and it's part of the, 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 the outfit or the garments that, uh, the, that the Lord instructed uh, Moses that needed to be made for the priest. If you look down at verse 9, so chapter 28, verse 9, it says, uh, the Lord said, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave them, engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone. Now skip down to verse 12. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, so one on one side, one on the other, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And here's the key. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You know, this, this is the high priest entering into the tabernacle and bringing the people before the Lord. And just to emphasize its, its importance, we see it in another, really the same thing, in another part of the garment done in a different way. Uh, this is the breast piece. Look down at verse 21. It's under that section on the, on the breast piece. Verse 21 there shall be twelve stones, this is on, on the breast piece, individual stones, twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. Notice these are valuable stones, uh, very valuable, but listen to who they represent. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes, representing all the people. That's where we hear the twelve tribes. This is the people being represented. Now skip down to verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them in regular remembrance before the Lord. This is really what the priesthood was all about. It was this action uh, for the high priest serving as the necessary mediator, providing access to, to God to a people who couldn't access God otherwise. They were, the Lord was inaccessible to them. But as we saw earlier in our reading from Hebrews chapter 7, the true mediator, the only one who could really stand in and, and draw them near to God and draw us near to God, is the one who was, at this time, who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the high priest was really like a placeholder. Uh, just showing the way and pointing the way to the one who was going to come, the real mediator, the one who was fully able to represent them and to represent us to God. Remember what we read earlier. This is, this is now, I've switched over to Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 25. We had read, Consequently, He, the Lord Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. Without Him, no help. No saving, no salvation. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, this is 
the great high priest. Uh, and, and, and so what does this mean to us? It means that there is no other way. That we must go through Christ. God was inaccessible to Israel. God is inaccessible to us. Apart from having a great high priest who stands in for us and who intercedes for us, you and I must trust in Christ. We must look to Him, the only healer of the sin-sick soul. And that's what this passage is all about. And, and so as we look at the priesthood and as we look at the priestly work in the tabernacle, uh, this is what we need to, to have in mind. This is what it's all about, that we are a people who must be represented before God by this priest. And in order for that to happen, we're going to see in the text, there, there are two just basic requirements that had to be met uh, uh, in order for the priest to serve as the mediator, and in particular, the high priest. Uh, number one, the priest had to be acceptable to God. And then secondly, the priest had to be effective for man. So two things, two characteristics about the priest. He had to be acceptable to God, and the priest had to be effective for man. Now, the, the, the first one, the priest had to be acceptable to God, is that's really analogous to saying that uh, the doctor who operates on you must be qualified. And I think that's something we would all uh, understand, all agree with. And so when it comes to the mediator, the mediator between God and man, we would expect that to be the case, that not just anyone can serve as mediator. There are certain requirements that must be met. And what we see right away as we turn to chapter 28, right there in the first verse, is that, first of all, the priests were chosen by God. Uh, Verse 1, Then bring near to you who? Aaron, your brother, and his sons with them from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And then as we continue forward, we see it's that line, the sons of Aaron, who were able to serve as priests. They, they, were, they were chosen by God. This wasn't something that they just came up with themselves. And it wasn't uh, something that the people chose. Uh, it wasn't even that they, they, they looked around and said, who is the most qualified for this position? Uh, This was the Lord who was choosing and the Lord who therefore was having to make them suitable for this purpose. You know, the the same thing is true for us today. Uh, That those who serve in a particular office within the church, whether it's pastor or elder or deacon, uh, we see this in God's Word, that it is the Lord who calls a person and gives that inner sense of, of calling to this office, but then also he affirms it by and, and in different ways by uh, by the body. Uh, and really, there's great comfort in this. If we're faithful in that task and truly seeking before the Lord to understand our own hearts and, and what he's calling us to and what he's doing within the church, there's great comfort because it's the Lord who's providing for his church. He's the one who's providing what's needed. Uh, And so here, 
the priests were chosen for this important work. Uh, and, and really, the, true, the, the same is true for us. He has chosen the mediator. He has chosen, ultimately, the true tabernacle, the one who he ordained would be able to stand in and intercede for us. You know, we saw that, in, again, in this passage that we read earlier. This was out of uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the, heavenly pla- or in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. The true tent, true tabernacle that the Lord set up, not man. And what great comfort we have in knowing that our mediator has come and been ordained by the Lord. It's not something that man has set up, not ourselves, not anyone else. Uh, We have the right mediator. This is all the Lord's doing when we are looking to this mediator, to Christ. Remember what what John the Baptist uh, said at one point, Um, and, and, and he knew Jesus. He knew who he was himself, and he knew who Uh, It was his cousin who Jesus was, but he asked this question of Jesus through his disciples. Are you the one, or should we look for another? Remember how Jesus responded? What do you see? The blind receive sight. The lame are healed. The deaf have been given hearing. In other words, I bring true healing into this world. I bring exactly what you need. This is the Lord's doing. He's the mediator. We can take comfort in that. Uh, Now, look back at our passage, chapter 28 of Exodus, verse 2, and look at what it says here about how the priest was going to be made presentable or acceptable to the Lord. Uh, Verse 2, it says, "...and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother." For glory and for beauty. And then the rest of the, rest of the chapter goes on to describe these garments. And, it, and you may have noticed that the garments are described in terms that are very similar to the tabernacle itself. The materials that are used are, are the same. Remember in the, in the tabernacle there was, there was furniture of gold and, and curtains that were embroidered with blue and purple and scarlet yarn. We see the exact same same thing with uh, the the garments for the priest. Uh, It it matches up perfectly. And so if you were to see the priest there in the tabernacle, then you'd see one who, who belonged there. Clearly, he was aligned with the purpose for the tabernacle. They had the same purpose. And with that in mind, there are three adjectives in that a passage in verse 2 that I want us to pay attention to. Um, they're adjectives that describe the priest and how he was adorned in his clothing. These are the three. Holy, glory, and beauty. That's what the priest, when he had his garments on, that's what he, he gave off. That's what, that, that's what was to be communicated. Holy, 
glory and beauty. Now, you think about those three words. They're almost always in Scripture used to describe God and not men. Uh, remember what the, the psalmist says when he says that he longs that he may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple the beauty of the Lord. Or this, this is uh, out of Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Uh, you know, one, one more place. Uh, most are probably familiar with that passage in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah sees the, the Lord, his robe fills the temple. And this is, this is that conversion experience that Isaiah himself has. And remember, there, there were seraphim that were there. And one of the seraphim looks to the other and says and calls out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, holy, glory, beauty. That's who God is. And the only way that the priests could approach God was for them to be suitably adorned like God in holiness and in glory and in beauty. But something that we know that that outward adornment never would have been enough to come into the very presence of the Lord. It wasn't enough just to, just to appear like God, but that only served to point to the need for the true mediator, the great high priest, who is not just like God, not just adorned like God, but He is God. He is, therefore, truly able to represent the people to God because He is glory glorious. He is holy and he is beautiful. Uh, and I, I'll just ask you, is this something that you recognize in yourself? Uh, maybe it's uh, in your approach to the Lord in, in, in prayer, your approach to the Lord when you come into worship, your approach to the Lord when you're thinking about the Lord at certain times and begin to join together with others in praising His name. Are these words that come to mind, are these words that describe how you are communicating to the Lord and describe your relationship, that you see Him as being holy and glorious and full of beauty? You know, this actually speaks of one whom we are drawn to. If you think about those words whom we are drawn to and, 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 and we experience and we desire and we, we fall before Him with a longing to be present with Him, knowing that this is exactly what we need. You know, that, that can help us to understand where we are in our relationship with the Lord. Do we see, do we come to the Lord through Christ, knowing that He is glorious, that He is holy, that He is beautiful. Uh, you know, this is the same demeanor that we saw uh, the Apostle John experience as he came into the, the throne room of heaven in, uh, in Revelation 
chapter 5, where he, he said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then he said, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You know, right there, that's the second qualification of the mediator that, that he approaches as one who has this and who ultimately is, therefore, God himself who is holy and glorious and beautiful. One more qualification I'd like uh, to look at. Now, we've already said that the people of Israel, uh, were, they couldn't come into the presence of God, that God was inaccessible to them because of their sin. That's why they needed, that's, that's the whole reason that they needed a priest But clearly, that also means that the priest, in order to represent the people, that he, the priest himself, be without blemish, without sin. Now think for a moment what we know about the the priests that I just mentioned uh, earlier. First of all, Aaron himself. Now right now, as these instructions are being given, Uh, You can imagine Moses is up on the mountain. The Lord is speaking to him. But what's happening down at the base of the mountain? You remember? We're actually going to look at that next week. Aaron, based upon the requests of the people, leading the people in putting together, carving, fashioning a golden calf, an idol, to facilitate their worship. That's where Aaron was. This is Aaron, the great, or Aaron, the, the high priest. Uh, what about his sons, a couple of his sons, Nadab and Abihu? If you've read a little bit further, Leviticus chapter 10, uh, you'll know that Nadab and Abihu, they, they, they had been trained as priests. They knew what they were to do, and yet they did it their own way. They offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. And they were struck dead on the spot by a God who is holy and who is to be seen and known as holy. Now, again, these are the priests. Uh, you've got Aaron, you've got Nadab and Abihu, and we could go on and on, but these are just the, the blatant sins. The problem is the priests were sinful, just like the people. And so what they had to do continually, and we see this throughout uh, chapter 29, and you see this really throughout the ceremonial uh, portion of the law in the Old Testament, was the the, the priests had to offer up first sacrifices for themselves continually. Uh, They had to come and and offer sacrifice after sacrifice before they ever offered sacrifices uh, for the people. And yet... Even that wasn't enough because we know that the blood of bulls and goats is never able to atone for sin. Uh, That was insufficient because of the true holiness that they had to manifest couldn't be manifested by them. It was impossible. And so again, they were just pointing to the need for a, a, a mediator who was truly without blemish and without sin. And so, again, reading 
where we read before out of uh, Hebrews chapter 7, this is verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifice daily, first for their own sins and then for those of the others, since he did this once for all when he offered up of himself. You know, God's people, you and I need a perfect priest. We need one who has qualified himself by his works of righteousness so that he can stand before the Father and intercede for us. Jesus is that perfect priest. And so you can imagine for a moment having the worst possible injury uh, to your body, one for which it seems there's no hope of recovery. But then someone is able to make this contact and, and you find out there is a surgeon And it turns out it's the surgeon who wrote the book having to do with this injury. And you've been accepted to be treated by this surgeon, the one who is more eminently qualified than any other to take care of your injury. You know, that's just a glimpse of what we have with this great high priest. Yet it's even better than that. Because he, the one who is bearing our name and taking our name before the Lord, He provides a guarantee that spiritual healing, true spiritual healing, will be ours. You know, again, it's, it's a passage out of Hebrews that really brings us to clarity. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, it's that word, confidence, that's the key for us. Confidence. That with this great high priest, that we can know that in him, We have a mediator that cannot and that will not fail us. He is eminently qualified to take us and to bear us before the Lord. He's the one that we need to look for. And so first, the priest had to be acceptable to God. He had to be qualified. And we find that in the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, the priest had to be effective man. We need a high priest who is not only qualified before God, but who is suitable for us. You know, there's a, there's a key phrase. This is back in, in, in our text in chapter 28, verse 1 again. Key phrase that you might just skip over. You might not think it's all that important. Uh, then, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Notice the the priests came from among the people, among the children of Israel. And this was needed because who who were the priests there for? They, They were their brothers. The priests, they knew the people's infirmities. 
And therefore, they were able to effectively plead on their behalf. You know, that's what the author of Hebrews speaks about as well. Because in this great high priest, we find one who not only is eminently qualified uh, before the Lord to fulfill this task as great high priest, but one who is effective for us to meet our needs specifically. This is uh, out of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Listen to this. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. You know, if you think about it, that that makes sense, doesn't it? That when you want to have someone help you, and you really, you've got a major problem, you're hurting, and you want someone that can really come alongside and and provide for you and, and, and help you out, you do want one who is qualified, right? But you also want one who has been there, one who knows, one who understands, one who is able to, to care for you in the midst of your pain. You don't only want a professional. You want a friend as well. You know, sometime back, I, uh, I met with someone and, and was coming alongside. We were uh, someone who was homeless uh, and had been homeless for some time. And, and I was trying to help, uh, not just with material things, but... but uh, with, with other things as, as well, emotionally and, uh, and, and with their, their mind and their heart. And at one point, they just were very straightforward with me. And they said, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. I, I really recognize it. They said, but you can't really understand because you haven't been there. And I had to say, you know what? You're right. I haven't. I haven't felt the shame. I haven't felt the misery. I haven't felt the hopelessness in the same way that you have. And therefore, what they were really saying was, you're limited in your ability to come alongside me. I need somebody who has been there. And, you know, I had to admit they they were right. I was limited in what I was able to do. You know, what a wonderful thing it is that our mediator is not limited in what he is able to do and, and in his effectiveness in coming alongside of us because he knows what we truly need. This is reading a little bit further in that passage of Hebrews chapter 5. In the days, uh, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That's one of those phrases that can be really hard for us to understand. This is the Lord, the Lord Jesus, fully God, yet at the same time, stepping from his glory to come alongside us and to be there, to be tempted as we are tempted, to, to bear suffering as we bear suffering. He learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, 
He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. And what a great, what a great message uh, for each one of us. That you and I have a great high priest. One who's not limited. One who is able. Uh, he is fully qualified. But He's also at the same time, He's humbled Himself. And He's come to that place in which we are. Why? so that He can be an effective great high priest to us. And you know the beauty of it all for you and for me? Imagine this, is that when He, the Lord Jesus, goes into the presence of God and bears our name before the Father, what does the Father do with us? When He looks upon you, He sees Christ. All of that sin, all of the blemish is taken away. All of the shame is done away with. He sees Christ before Him. Because that's the kind of mediator that we have. You might know your own sin. You might know how ugly it is. You might feel the weight of it. You might think that inside that God could never accept me the way I am. But the truth is that we have a mediator who is able, and He's not only able, but He is effective in caring for us in the ways that we need to be cared for. He is worthy. He is righteous. And we simply receive everything that is His. What's the calling for us, therefore, to look to Him, to trust in Him, to receive what He and He alone can provide and does offer to each one of us. And then to live our lives trusting in Him, walking with Him. Yes, going through difficult times, suffering, but recognizing all the way through that we have this great high priest who has stood in the stead for us. You know, in a moment we're going to be singing about that, singing about the great high priest. Uh, And I I just invite us as we sing these words to think about what we have in Christ. Think about who He is. Think about who we are. And therefore, who we are able to be before the Lord through Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do thank You this morning for the gift that You have given us in Christ. Uh, Yet, we have to admit at the same time that that we're not uh, real good at seeing that, at recognizing that gift, at living our lives as those who have received this gift. Wherever we are, each one of us, uh, Lord, I I pray that You would would help us uh, with seeing, recognizing, help us to to use the means that You've given uh, for us to be able to truly see and therefore to draw close uh, to You, to walk with You, to know You, uh, because we are those uh, who have had our sin atoned for and who belong to the great King. Uh, We pray for Your help. In Jesus' name, Amen.